Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's that noise? It's the news. What news? Hard rock and heavy metal news. Where are you going to get it from? You got to get it from GeekWire. Right now, coming at you with the latest and greatest. The good, the bad, the stupid, the ugly, the ridiculous. It's all here. We're going to cover it all. My name is Aaron Camaro, and I'm joined, as always, by the man that's got his finger on the pulse of the rock and roll news. It's Chris Sinzak. How goes it, brother? It's going good. We got some uh, some cool stuff to talk about this week. Some good, bad, and definitely ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I would have it no other way. <laughs> nice to be back with uh, GeekWire. And, uh, yeah, we've moved on from New Noise. I think Geek GeekWire seems to be a hit with people. They seem to like the name. Makes sense. Yeah. No confusion. It's perfect. All right. We ready to get into it? Yeah. What do you got for us? Oh, so interesting. Um, Wasp Blackie Lawless has admitted to using backing tracks during performances on this current Wasp tour. I saw that. He was asked by a fan during a meet and greet, and wow, I was so impressed with the guy that had the balls to just straight ask that in the middle of a meet and greet, and even more impressed that Blackie Lawless answered it honestly and was straight up about it. Didn't try to hide it. Didn't try to say, no, no, we don't, we don't use backing tracks like uh, some bands we know. Yeah. But, yeah, kudos to the guy for asking the question and Blackie for being honest about it. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, his answer was a tad convoluted, but uh, it does make sense. He said, uh, to answer your question, yes, we are using backing tracks. You want to know why? When we go into a studio, let me clarify that statement. That's me singing. But when we go into a studio, we do choruses. We double, triple, quadruple the vocals. So my feelings were when I listened to the live YouTube recordings of our shows and we weren't doing that, it sounded thin. When we started supplementing it, it sounded better. So he says, if I'm a fan and I'm coming to a show, I want that thing to sound as good as it can. There are other bands, the queens of the world. They cannot duplicate 24 vocals at one time. That's what they do on those records. If you want it to sound like those records, you've got to have some help. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. So um, the thing to me though with this is um, 
why is this news? Because um, Blackie's been doing this for, what, 15, 20 years now? Yeah. I mean, the last, you know, they tour Europe most of the time. So I, maybe it's kind of a new, more of a news story because it's an American tour, which they haven't done in forever. But um, he's been supplementing tracks for vocals for forever. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a new thing. He was doing it before Kiss was doing it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't. And depending on what you think, I mean, you can either hate it or love it. Um, I do know he's doing uh, Animal Fuck Like a Beast. At, I think it's at the beginning of the show from what I've seen. Yeah. And I know he is just straight up miming to those lyrics. But, I mean, when you have to go into, you know, where his faith kind of has a problem with some of the lyrics. And, you know, for years he wouldn't play it. So I think right. his compromise is I'll lip sync it and get away. And that sounds kind of silly, too, but... I guess at the very least, you're still getting to hear the song live. Yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe it's a big deal because people are now, I don't know, it's just, it's become such a thing. You know, there's there's Facebook groups and personalities dedicated to, you know, not letting musicians get away with doing that shit. You know, everybody knows Sink and Stanley. <laughs> and, you know, and that's what it is all about. At the end of the day, it's a protest. To yeah. say, hey, you know, if you expect us to pay top dollar for tickets, then we expect authenticity. Right. Or at the very least, a little honesty. Right. You know, and so I'll give I'll give it the credit where it's due for Blackie. He didn't lie. No. You know, he did come right out and say it. He wasn't embarrassed, you know. And, and when you put it like that, that makes sense, you know. I would imagine without the extra help, it does just sound kind of thin. Why can't Paul Stanley just come out and do that and be like, look, you know, my voice ain't quite what it used to be, and I need the help. Yeah. But if you, I'm going to deliver a KISS concert that people expect, I'm going to have to have the help to do it. I think people would be way more understanding with Paul Stanley if he came out with it like that instead of hiding it and acting like, no, we don't do that when... For years now, everybody clearly sees that they do. Yeah, so it's like the worst kept secret in music right now. I mean, yeah, it's not even. Yeah, it's not even a secret. You know, the only person that thinks it's a secret is Paul Stanley. You know? I know. I'm I'm pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. Nobody suspects a thing. <laughs> well, I mean, and even the tracks are the tracks that he's using now are stuff that was recorded in a studio with Magic in the last couple of years. So. It's not like he's going back and using album tracks. He's trying. It it just shows the de- the uh, deception because yeah. it's like let me sound like my current voice. But then at the same time, between the songs, he's squawking, trying to do stage raps, which he should just drop. And uh, it sounds obvious. He sounds horrible. And then I, I saw that uh, they they played. I think it was the Heaven and Hell Fest in Mexico. And the, or no, it was a Tokyo Dome show, and they played uh, "Making Love," but he didn't use tracks for that. But it's like you're just exposing yourself that much more because it's so obvious that you can't, that you're not sing, that you are singing live at that place. To me, Paul Stanley, you need to hear tracks in that case. Yeah, and you know what? If if that's the way it is, and we talked about this a million times over at this point. And especially the night we went and seen Kiss on the end of the road tour. And it's like you look around and you see the Kiss fans that have brought their kids and their grandkids, you know, to see Kiss thinking 
this is it. You know, this is the last chance. And, you know, we're all the same when it comes to that. When you find something you love like that, you want to share it with people. And if you can take your kid to a Kiss concert, I know you have, I have, Mm -hmm. you know, anybody that we know that's a huge Kiss fan that has kids, I'm betting they took them to see Kiss at some point because you want other people to understand, you know, why is Uncle Aaron or why is why is Dad, you know, so weird about Kiss? You know, you go, no, I ain't weird. Come see it for yourself. And then they go, oh, yeah, wow, this is badass. Yeah. So on that instance, you say, well, you know, for these kids that are coming seeing it, don't know no better, don't know no different, you'd rather see them using the tracks, you know, so that it's conveyed to the next generation how amazing Kiss really was. Yeah, on the or- other hand of that, you know, it's not really – like for the rest of us it's like oh man you know if you can't do it what are you doing you know why do it then that's still my that's still my argument and i mean i wish i had the 2009 or 10 show that i took my son to i i kind of wish i had hung it up then i mean it it was a cool hanging out with you on the end of the road show and 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 seeing friends and stuff but but it's still the like i mentioned in the past um ad nauseum um the magic just wasn't there anymore. So it's 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 almost like taking your kids to see the ice capades now. It's it's very sterile, scripted, you know. But to me, as I've said many times, I will I will not be buying a ticket to another Kiss show, even if they come back to Nashville, which they probably will. Um, but if you if you get something out of it, more power to you. But uh, yeah, I I can't really support them anymore. What if Ace and Peter there? No, 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 even more. That's even more motivation for me not to go because really? it's, it's not going to work. It, it just P- Peter's not up up to it, and Ace would not be able to work with click tracks and all that for Paul's vocals. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know I think I and, and with Ace we we got one of the you know one of the better shows from the solo lineup when we saw them a few years ago. Yeah. But even even him, you know, and yeah, he's at least doing it live, but. Even his performances have kind of suffered, not due to our friends in the band, but I think due to Ace because they're all getting older, you know. Right. It's, it's and it, 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 I'm not trying to take a shot at anybody here. It's just one of those things where you vote with your dollar, you know. And um, I'd rather keep the memories I have and and uh, just leave it at that. Yeah, they should have wrapped it up when Ace thought it was over. Oh, the farewell tour! <laughs> farewell to Ace. Not to turn this into torpedo dudes here, but I mean, but like, how would Kiss be looked at had they actually hung it up in 2000 on the farewell tour? I think they would have a lot more respect put on them. I would think so, at least from the hardcore fans, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it would have been just as big a deal then to take your kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever, to go see Kiss and say, hey, this is it. This is really the end. And it really should have ended right then and there, you know. And then they could have went off and done their own things. And they would have had all these years in between to be enjoying solo success or painting pictures or buying businesses or whatever it is they want to do, you know, instead of... uh, It it sucks because, as everybody knows, we're huge KISS fans and we want people to see KISS the way we see KISS. It's the same story of, like, taking your kids. You want your kids to understand... You know, why this was so awesome and why you loved it so much. Sure. On the other hand, like, I don't know if I'd want to take a little kid to see Kiss because I would know, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I 
I guess if I'm being fair, I, I'm still glad we got Sonic Boom and Monster because at least we got original material out of this lineup. Um, I would have been okay maybe after the Monster Tour if they had called it quits. I, I, I still would have been okay with that because at least they were a working creative band at that time. Yeah. But but since then, it's it's just been the, the uh, nostalgia train. So yeah. I don't know. But I mean, well, it's the, uh, the day they said they would never put out another album. That's the nail in the coffin that makes this nostalgia now. Yeah, and it's nostalgia acts don't put out new music. No, and and I get their argument for it, but to me, as a fan of the band, I want to hear them do music. So yeah, you know, it's um, I'm glad we got, especially got Monster because I know a lot of you guys hate it, but uh, to me, I love that record. Yeah, it's not bad, you know, and it's always cool because it's Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley. If those guys write songs and record them and perform them. I love it. You know, nine yeah. times out of ten, I'm going to love it. You know, and as much as I don't love the idea and never have of other guys wearing Ace and Peter's outfits and makeup, still respect those guys as musicians and sure. d- didn't hate the albums. You know, not my favorite Kiss albums and pretty low on the spectrum on the big picture of the whole discography, but still, at that time and day, it was still pretty cool to get new Kiss music. Uh, with that said... Still loving my Creatures of the Night 40th anniversary box set. Still nice. Well, as a matter of fact, if we're going to knock out all the Kiss talk right away, here's some more Paul Stanley bullshit. He okay. recently did an interview. Um, let me see. I want to the give You him, Discover Music? That's maybe? the one. Yeah, he did an interview with You Discover Music. And they're talking about Creatures of the Night, and they're talking about what it was like at those times. And he's talking about it was like waking up from a coma. Like, we had done these things that have taken us so far away from, you know, what we were. Mm-hmm. And then it's like one day the fog just cleared and we're like, we know what we are. We're not, you know, a, a bubblegum pop band and then a disco band and then a prog band. No, we're Kiss and we're going to be rocking again. And it was just like one day we just woke up and realized it. Bullshit. <laughs> like, you're down in the Ace in the whole studios and Ace Fraley is begging you to make an album like Creatures of the Night. And what do you make him do? Music from the Elder. Eric Carr comes in, and he talks about Eric Carr in this interview very highly, which was great. Talk about what a great, heavy drummer he was and how he was inspired by the stuff that Kiss was inspired by originally. And that poor guy comes into the band, and he's thinking, yeah, I'm in Kiss. I'm going to rock hard, and it's going to be amazing, and I am just a boy, you know? (laughs) And it's like, that poor guy, you know, what? He must have hated it. You know, it's tore them in half. It's like, it's amazing to be in Kiss. I'm not fixing ovens. I'm not driving a taxi cab. I'm in one of the biggest bands in the world. And now we're doing this? You know, what the hell? People Mm -hmm. are going to think this is my fault. Yep. And it's like, you know, everybody knows that Ace Fraley's screaming and kicking his way through all that shit going, we need to rock harder. We can't be for little kids. We can't be a bubblegum pop band. We can't be writing disco songs. I sure don't want nothing to do with whatever this is with the door and the album cover. You know, this is stupid. Let's just write great rock songs to the point where it strays so far and he is so heartbroken by being in the band, he's got to quit or he's going to drink and drug himself to death just to get through it. So for the, him to say, it was like we just woke up one day and the fog cleared and we're like, we need to make a hard rocking album that brings us back to our roots. I call bullshit on that. No. Ace Fraley's sitting on your shoulder the whole time telling you that, and you wouldn't listen to him. No, I think the more accurate translation of that is 
New Wave was big, so we thought we would do Unmasked and tr- try to be like the Cars. That didn't work. Then Pink Floyd had a hit with The Wall, so we tried to do that, do a concept album. That didn't work. And then the new wave of British heavy metal is coming in and getting really big, so let's do Creatures of the Night. Yeah, totally. It was trend chasing, just like all their other stuff is. Like, yeah, for since, <laughs> well, everything after the solo albums, really. After yeah. they decided, you know, instead of setting the trend, we're going to follow it. And yeah. I hate that about Kiss, you know? And they're always going to be my number one favorite band, but... There are few bands in the world that are more trend chasers than Kiss. What, like you said, you know, we, we want to be the Cars. Okay, now we want to be Pink Floyd. All right, now we want to be Judas Priest. Cool. Now we want to be Bon Jovi. You know, it's like yep. whatever's big. Oh, now we want to be Soundgarden in the Smash Pumpkins and Alice in Chains. You know, it, it just goes on and on until eventually they put the makeup back on. And then, okay, now we want to be Kiss again. Right. But, I mean, at the same time, to to put a positive spin on it, though, in hindsight, you know, as a fan who got into them in the late 80s, you know, it was, and I still feel this way, it's still kind of cool to have so much variety from them to go back and listen to because it's like, well, if I'm in kind of a new wave mood, I'll go listen to Unmasked. Or if I, on the off chance I want to hear a Pink Floyd, the wall type thing, I'll listen to The Elder, which is rare. But, you know, but Creatures, I mean, as much as I love it, it was them chasing another trend, but at the same time, it were it was more in their wheelhouse because a lot yeah. of those bands were influenced by Kiss, so it 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 made more sense. Um, and of course, Crazy Nights. I'm I still love Crazy Nights. I know you don't, but Bon Jovi and bands like that were influenced by Kiss too. So I still think they did a great job of doing that style of music. Well, and in your instance too, it totally worked because you were a little kid that was into Poison and Bon Jovi yep. and Rat and all these bands you're seeing on MTV, and then you discover Kiss and you like it because they're like those bands that you are already into. Yeah, but then it was also cool because it was like once I discovered all the other material, especially the '70s stuff, I'm like, wow, it's like a whole different world of you know music to get into. So it was. Yeah. It was like getting to unwrap presents over and over again, you know, now that yeah. we're on the holidays. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, that's our Kiss Talk portion of the show. There's your free All Torpedo right. Dudes episode. Nice. Um, so, yeah, uh, some sad news this week. Uh, Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac passed away. I know we don't typically cover Fleetwood Mac and stuff, but uh, still a very sad loss. And um, 79 years old, she definitely didn't look that. And, um, no. you know, uh, it's, all, it's, all they're saying is it was a – she died peacefully after a short illness, so I don't know what she passed from. But uh, I mean, when you get up to be 80 years old, I think you just call that you lived a full life and yeah. died of old age. But yeah, um, you know, I obviously we all knew the, the Fleetwood Mac stuff growing up because it sure. was all over the radio, but I didn't really kind of take hold with Fleetwood Mac until um, I guess it was around the time that Kiss did their reunion when they did theirs. They did like that MTV special. And uh, called, I think it was just called the the dance or something, and it was it was them getting back together and and I it, you know it, it was a great live performance. Even if you're not a big Fleetwood Mac fan, it, you have to appreciate the you know the musicianship of it. And uh, and she was a big highlight of that. Like uh, she was a big part of their songwriting that a lot of people don't give her credit for because everybody thinks with Fleetwood Mac they think of Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, but right. but Christine was definitely a big part of that band. Oh yeah, and, she uh, she wrote some of their biggest songs. Oh, absolutely, and uh, some of their bigger hits from the '80s. She was the singer on. So, 
Uh, Songbird is one song in particular. Uh, just yeah, an amazing. Lies. Yeah, tell me lies. Uh, she was an amazing musician, and uh, that's a that's a big loss to rock and roll. So uh, rest in I peace, Christine so. McVie. I see. I never got in. My parents had rumors on LP when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. I just listened to Kiss, you know, and Dad Sabbath. I didn't listen to no Fleetwood Mac, and then I think the one thing that made me actually look at Fleetwood Mac was when I realized that the Green Man Alishi with the Three pronged crown, <laughs> two pronged crown. Yeah, that's hard to say. I don't know how the hell they sing it. Um, that I realized, like that pre-song, which is so killer. Sure, like that's Fleetwood Mac. That no, that can't be. Like, well, that's don't the stop thinking version. about tomorrow. You know, and and then I started now, probably within the last year, going back and trying to seek out some of them older Fleetwood Mac albums. And yeah, that's you the... know what? There's there's some cool stuff in there. That's the Peter Green era, and uh, yeah. yeah, Peter Green was an amazing underrated guitar player that yeah. uh, you should check out if you haven't checked out the early Fleetwood Mac stuff before Rumors. Um, and also, Bob Welch was in the band for a while. He was a, a, a Nashville resident that uh, took his own life a few years ago, tragically. Man. Um, but uh, I did see Fleetwood Mac once opening for Kiss, and that was in 1994 at the Gibson Hundredth Anniversary Show. But it was a oh. very a very bastardized version of Fleetwood Mac. It was uh, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie were there, but at the rest of the band, it, like no Stevie, no Lindsay, no Christine. It was uh, Billy Burnett and Becca Bramlett and Dave Mason, who was in the band Traffic, and that was the version that I saw. That's wild. Yeah, it was still cool to hear to see them live, but uh, but yeah, no, I I got into Fleetwood Mac a little bit and. Some of the some of their hits from back in the seventies are are good road trip songs to listen to. I'll always love the song "Gold Dust Woman." There's just something yeah. about that song. I just love it. I like Hole's cover of that song. Yeah, me too. That's probably the best thing they ever did. <laughs> yeah, it's a good cover. Yeah. I don't like Courtney Love much, but I do like some of their cover songs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like uh, you know, had had to make a mention of that. And, you know, and I'll I'll be honest. I I asked for some. Uh, some feedback on on facebook because it's just like i want to be interactive with this show and uh, just like what do you guys want us to talk about so some of these some of these headlines come from uh from you guys so thank you for suggesting them it's a great reason to be a part of the decibel geek community on facebook that's right um next story um eric martin says it's it's time for mr big to go back on tour and uh, i'm seeing uh Interviews with him and Billy Sheehan both basically tipping tipping their hand that uh, Mr. Big will be going on the road again next year. You broke the news on the last Geek Wire, and now it's all coming true. Yeah. Um, Matt Starr, who is Ace Fraley's drummer, uh, will not be the drummer for it. Uh, he no? did He did do drumming for them after Pat Torpy passed away. And um, they have nothing but glowing things to say about Matt, but also they're looking for a drummer that can hit a lot of the high notes singing-wise. So they're on, they're on the uh, hunt for a new drummer for the next tour. But uh, pretty interesting. Um, I'm really hoping they will add a Nashville date because, sadly, I have always missed seeing them live, and I would love to see a Mr. Big Live show. Yeah, I've never seen Mr. Big Live. Paul Gilbert, very underrated guitar player. Um, I mean, if you're in guitar nerd circles, you'll, you'll hear about say. him. I was going to say. 
Yeah, I was going to say, uh, at one time in the guitar magazines and all that, he was not underrated at all. He was like their top dude. Sure, but I mean, you don't you hear about Steve Vai to this day, but you don't hear much about Paul Gilbert anymore. But uh, very great player. Go back and listen to that Racer X stuff. Um, a lot of great stuff there. But uh, yeah, no, pretty, pretty uh, excited to hear that, and I'm glad Mr. Big is going to do some more dates and... Uh, you know, you, you can't really replace Pat Torpy because he was such a big part of that band. But uh, it'll be cool to see what they do. I don't know if they'll do any new music, but it's good that they're going to go out and do another run on the road. Need a really good drummer with a high-pitched voice? Maybe what you need is Alex Van Halen. Oh, that well, that would definitely sell tickets. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, here's another story that uh, some one of our listeners brought up. I can't remember who, so forgive me for that. But... Uh, this is, I don't know how to feel about this. This is, uh, so, you know, NFTs are something that we've we've heard a little bit about. But uh, this is, I guess, along the lines of that, it's a, it's the Rick Nielsen guitar collection. And I'll read the description. The first digital collect- collectibles dropped by rock icon Rick Nielsen. A series of unique collectibles personally curated and approved by the lead guitarist of Cheap Trick himself. This series comes in a variety of formats, quantities, and prices. And uh, if you go to the link, it shows, you know, his checkerboard, um, I guess it's an Explorer guitar. And, um, yeah, the checkerboard Explorer, you know, he has 78 Hamer, and, but it's a digital collectible. And it has, hmm. will come preloaded on the revolutionary holographic picture frame designed by the Looking Glass Factory. It will enable you to proudly display this limited edition model and all its 3D glory included with the guitar on the frame will be Rick's own narration describing the history, value, and facts about this guitar. Wow. So, so this is kind of the wave of the future, and I don't know what people really think about this. It, it's it's different, but I guess this is where things are going, where you're going to have, like, possessions or you'll own a share of something online. It's still weird to me. I guess I'm old. And I still buy CDs and things that I want to hold in my hands. Right. But I don't really truly understand what it is. Is it something you hang on the wall and it looks like a guitar or it's like a... I think it's like a digital frame that will have him talking about the making of it or something. And then you'll see it in the frame. I, it's, I don't, they're saying that the launch date is Thursday, December 15th. So you'll, this, this episode will be out before that. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see what the price is going to be too. Cause it doesn't look like they're sharing what the price is going to be. Hmm. It's interesting. The stuff you can do with technology nowadays, you know? Yeah. And I mentioned this on, uh, I was watching uh podcast rock cities live stream the other night. And, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show yet. Um, Howie Mandel has a really good YouTube podcast that he does with his daughter. And uh, he did have, he had Gene on recently. It's actually a pretty entertaining interview, but I've gotten into watching other interviews of his and he did one with Mike judge who created Beavis and butthead King of the Hill and all those shows. Right. And during the interview and also one of the things Mike judge did was a show called Silicon Valley, which was a, it was a show about it people and, part of that show had like a whole it was basically a fake bit about creating like a hologram technology company to make it like holograms like look completely real well apparently some guy was inspired by that episode and created a hologram company and 
like during the interview with Mike Judge, all of a sudden he appears on screen in this box and it looks like he's actually standing in the room. And he's like, hey, Mike, good to meet you. Thanks for inspiring my company. And it's like the it's more than like the Dio hologram. It looks like the person is actually in the room. It's pretty crazy. And they're talking about it. And during the interview, Howie goes, yeah, I'm on the board of directors and kiss just bought into this technology. Oh, I think we've talked about this once before. Maybe oh, have we? torpedo okay. dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so, definitely going to be some kind of kiss hologram when this all said and yeah. done. So their kiss are investors in this hologram company. So that pretty much seals the deal. That there may not be a KISS 2.0, but there will be a hologram KISS. <sighs> so, so they can extract more of your money out of your wallet. So then if they do hologram KISS, they got to pay Peter, Chris, and Ace Fraley, right? Or are they just going to hologram Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer? Well, I mean, if they own the rights to the makeup, they can do whatever the hell they want with it, probably. Jeez. Because you know they're not going to have, like, Gene's not going to be like, you know, when you do this hologram of me, you know, it's okay if you use, you know, big fat 2020 ver- or 2022 version of me. Oh, no, he's going to be like, Gene. you go back 1976 Gene hologram, you know, that's what I want. And Paul Stanley's going to be like, yep, same here, you know. And it's like, so you're going to have the two young guys from the 70s holograms and then Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, I don't gonna... like the future scares me. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, where are we like going it. with all this? NFTs, kiss holograms. I don't like it. <laughs> what happened to getting up on stage and just playing music? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Interesting, uh, tech going on these days. So, um, let's get into the journey soap opera. Have you been hearing about this stuff? I mean, there's been a Journey soap opera for many years now, hasn't there? In, <laughs> yeah. one, in one form or another. Yeah. Um, when I got when I got through reading this stuff, I was like, well, Steve Perry is, you know, he just continues to laugh all the way to the bank on this stuff. But uh, so, you know, so like the mainstays of Journey for the last, you know, 20 years have been Jonathan Cain, the keyboardist, and Neil Sean, the guitar player. Yeah. Well, now they're at they're, now they're at each other's throats. So to sum this up in a quick way, because there's way too much to read here. So basically Neil Sean, uh, attacked Jonathan Kane online. This is the craziest thing. And this will be a recurring theme as we go through geek wire today with these people making their drama public on social media. It's not, and I think the lesson for all of us to take here is, don't air your dirty laundry out on social media. It's a bad idea. Yeah. So especially, sen- especially if you ever grow and change and don't feel that way no more. Right. It's uh it's gotten bad. So in so I'll start out with first uh, Neil Sean shared on social media on an account that he shares with his wife, Michelle, which is kind of creepy. Um Thankful for American Express and the bank for telling Neil Sean the truth about Jonathan Cain and Paula White. So Jonathan Cain's married to like a faith healer evangelist named Paula White. Um, Going behind Neil's back. Adding Paula White to journey corporate banking in 2020 is unethical and unlawful to Neil. He, He said never do it. They did it anyway. Good for the honest bank rep. Thankful. So apparently... 
Neil Sean wants access to all of the, the, the like, I guess there's a journey like business credit card and Amex card. Okay. And, um, journey petty cash. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and so that came out. And so Neil was like claiming, and I guess his wife was claiming that he was like being, um, roadblocked on being able to get access to this card or its its statements or whatever, and he he like sued Jonathan Kane. And the the fucked up thing is these guys are still in a band together. Oh wow! So, and then Jonathan Kane, of course, had to come back and publicly release a statement, and he says this is a matter that should have been resolved privately, but I am forced to publicly respond now to Neil's yeah. malicious lies and personal attacks on my family and I in an effort to garner public support for his ill-conceived lawsuit, a lawsuit that has absolutely no merit. Neil has always had access to the credit card statements. What he lacks and what he is really seeking is the ability to, in- to increase his spending limits. Ah. Since Neil decided to publicize what's going on, I can tell you we will present the evidence to the court that shows that Neil has been under tremendous financial pressure as a result of his excessive spending and extravagant lifestyle, which led to him running up enormous personal charges on the band's credit card account. Oh, when, shit, Vinny Vincent. <laughs> yeah. When efforts were made to limit the use of his use of the card to legitimate band expenses, Neil unfortunately decided to attack me rather than trying to get his reckless spending under control. So wow. <laughs> So I'm, I mean that makes sense, I, I guess. I kind of I kind of think Jonathan Cain's telling more of the truth here than Neil Sean is and uh because if you follow Journey at all over the last few years since he met this woman Michelle that's his wife, uh-huh. um they do live like extravagantly and like like chartering private jets and all kinds of expensive you know, shopping trips and stuff. Oh, just put it on the journey credit card. That's pretty much what he's been doing. And then Kane's uh, get Kane's getting the statements, trying to do the uh, journey accounting and going, wait a minute, where what's this and what's this? Right. So it's uh, it's pretty ugly. I still say don't ever bring any of this stuff public, but they're doing it. Well, it sounds to me like uh, Sean just got mad and just spouted off. And then, like dude said, you know, now I have to respond to it. Right. Oh, man, what a mess. Yeah, but... Um, are Journey still around? I mean, are they still oh, touring? Yeah. Are they still making music? Yeah, they... Oh, yeah, they they put a new record out recently, and they're still playing arenas, and they're, they're doing well financially. But, uh, although, I, I did see a, another story that Neil was, like, posting about, wouldn't it be great if Greg Raleigh joined us on keyboards again? <laughs> Because Greg was in the band before uh, Jonathan Kane, so yeah. I think he's telegraphing that he that you know that Jonathan's out of the band. But I don't know how that's going to work because I think Jonathan has like a ownership stake stake in the band too. Just crazy. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'm going to skip ahead. We'll get to the other story soon. But uh, on that same tip, we might have two versions of autograph in the near future. Do we really need two versions of autograph? No, we do not. Isn't one version of autograph enough? What's it, what's it going to be? Like, these guys were never in autograph, but we're autograph. And these guys were never never original members of autograph either, but we're autograph. Well, some people would tell you we don't need one version, but, um, I mean, they had one hit, right? 
Turn up the radio. Turn up the radio. That was it, right? As far as I know. Um, I mean, they got other good songs. Maybe. I really don't know any. That's another band I have to do a deep dive into. But uh, I've been finding some of their weird, obscure CDs, and I listen to them, and it's not bad. Yeah. But uh, Steve Lynch, he was the founding guitarist for the band. He's speaking out after he is being sued by the current members of the band over the trademark of the group's name. And... um, he detailed his dilemma in a lengthy Facebook post. Here we wow. go again. Today, as I speak as a defendant, as a defendant to my own legacy in a lawsuit filed by Daniel Simone, AKA Simon Daniels and Mark Wheeland. The lawsuit claims that they are autograph and the sole owners of the trademark, which I have no rights to after a 40 year career, creating the band and the trademark, the absurdity of this claim defies reality and is beyond rational thinking as well as the law. That which I'm not going to even bother reading the rest of this mess, but um, essentially Steve Lynch has been out of the band for a long time. Yeah. And in 2014, the band continued on, I think. And then, so Randy Rand, who was the original bass player, he kind of picked up things. And from what I gather, Steve was okay with all of this back then. And and he was the last guy in the band that was legit, right? Randy as far as, was. like, original members? Yeah, Randy. Yeah, and then Randy passed away earlier this year. Right. But so then, since then, the rest of the band members have continued on and used the name. But Randy's widow, if I'm getting this right, is claiming that the band never, like, cleared it with him or his estate or something, but the band claims that Randy wanted them to continue because it's their livelihood. And now suddenly Steve comes from out of nowhere and claims that they're ripping him off. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know who you believe. I, I, I'm definitely not schooled enough on this to know who's telling the truth and who isn't. Right. But I mean, it really comes down to, I mean, you can say that, you know, hey, Randy wanted us to carry on the legacy of the band. He wanted us to keep going. He wanted us to keep making money after he's gone, you know, just keep autograph alive. Okay, can yeah. you pr- can you prove that? And they're like, oh, uh, no, he told us and nobody else. So then the wife goes, you know, he never said nothing like that to me. So then you know, it goes back to these guys going, okay, well, you've got no original claim to the autograph name, but you say he gave you the go-ahead to keep going, which he may have. But if you ain't got no kind of proof and he only told it to you and nobody else... Makes it seem funny. The other guy, right. he's been out of the band for years, but if he's the last original member left, then I think he would have you know more of a claim to it. But it really, that's one of them things where you don't know until, I guess, it goes to court and they file out the paperwork and who owns what and who's got rights to what. But in court, just saying, hey, yeah, before the guy died, he told me he wanted me to carry on the band. Right. He's not going to cut it. So, I mean, I guess... I don't know, and I'm looking at Steve Lynch's post here, and he he says, as Randy was hospitalized in a coma, I heard nothing from Simone, Wheeland, or Bell. That's Jimmy Bell, the guitar player. During this difficult time, I received many condolences from the other gracious members who played in the band and recorded with us as autograph over the years. None ever made the ridiculous claim that the band was theirs. So I... I I don't know. I mean, this is it's pretty. This is one of those things where it's also it's like who do you? The thing I hate though is like it's it's forcing the fans to side on one side or right. the other. 
Well, that's what I was just thinking, too. I wish I knew a hardcore autograph fan. Yeah, I don't know any of them. I don't know any either. You know, you could ask, you know, where, where, how do you feel about this? Do you, do you think autograph should have died with Randy Rand? Do you think that, you know, the band should continue even though there's no original members? Would you still go see that band live and feel as good about it as you would have any other time because you love autograph so much? Does Steve Lynch have the rights to it? Would you rather see him start up a new band? And call it autograph. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's a really weird one. It's I don't know the answer. Yeah, and I mean, Steve Plunkett is the guy who sang for them originally, and he's kind of the most well-known member of the band. Is he still around? He is. I mean, but like he's he's making money through syndication on TV because he wound up writing the theme song to the TV show Seventh Heaven, the Jessica Biel show, and that was I like think he made out pretty years ago. Well. Yeah, but I mean, he probably made out pretty well with that. But uh, he hasn't, as far as I know, he hasn't spoken up at all about this. So, and I don't think he has any interest of, you know, growing his hair back out and doing an autograph song. I mean, if he's in the industry and he's making money, there's no need to. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there how much demand is there for autograph right now? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, they just came out with a new album. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not trying to slag them. I just. I don't know. But then again, I mean, we follow like Tor Tora, Roxy Blue, and those bands. Sure. We love them. But I mean, I right. guess they're, they're kind of on the same equal footing. Yeah. So if there was, if this was happening within Tora Tora or something, we would have higher stakes in it for our personal feelings. Well, sure. Because we're huge fans. But because we're not huge fans, Autograph, which I still, I'm going to listen to that new album before the end of the year because I'm thinking it yeah, might surprise me because Jimmy Bell freaking wails on guitar. Oh, I love that guy. Amazing player. Yeah. Yeah. And no, so, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't have enough of a dog in this hunt to, to really feel one way or the other about it. If you are listening to this and you are a huge autograph fan, we would love to see your comments in the comment section underneath this uh, episode and let us know how you feel about it because it's kind of hard for us to grasp, but if somebody's a huge fan of this band, I'd be interested to hear their take on it. Mm-hmm. All right, so for another big story... Um, kind of have to cover this. Uh, Pantera has played their first concert in over 20 years, which, I mean, the current version of Pantera. Right. Go ahead. Qualify yeah. that before I get yelled at. Um, at Mexico's he- Hell in Heaven Metal Fest. And uh, have you seen any of the footage yet? I've seen all the footage. Okay. What are, what are your thoughts? Fucking awesome. Yeah. Really good. So good. I was talking to Metal Mike about it, you know, and it's like, he was even saying, like, Zach is playing more like Dime and less like himself. And I go, well, I don't know. You know, there's something about that Zach Wild tone like, yeah. that I guess you just can't tame. Because to me, even though it's awesome, and I love it, and it's amazing to see those songs played live, to me, he still does sound like Zach Wild. Yeah, it sounds like Zach playing Dime stuff to me. It, it's And there's – he definitely took some – I don't want to say took some liberties, but he's he's doing the best he can. But there's certain there's certain little isms and stuff that Dime would do on his solos that right. he's not doing. No, and, and that's I'm 100 percent okay with that because I'm you okay know what, Dimebag Daryl was a one of a kind. Yeah, and if they wanted perfection in the guitar playing, they'd have got Nick Bocott. But if they want somebody that's going to draw and be a big deal, like when they all said, "Hey." This is the new lineup. Everyone said, yeah, awesome. 
if Nick Bocott would have been the guitarist, everyone would have said, well, who's that? And then, oh, the guy from Grim Reaper. And they'd say, who's that? You know? <laughs> right. I mean, it's... It, but if they, were, it, if they were going for perfection in playing and song and sound and tone and all of it, that would have been the guy. But he doesn't have the name recognition of Zach Wilde. So I think that's the way they go. But it still sounds great. It's, those songs yeah. are just as kick-ass as ever. Is anybody that you're going to stick up there going to perfectly nail Dimebag Daryl? No. Nobody. No. Nick Bocott, probably the closest, but I don't think anybody's going to nail it perfectly outside of him. So, I mean, it's like I said, I don't care. I, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. The fans are going freaking nuts. They were up there. I didn't see no lip syncing. <laughs> <laughs> now, Phil sounds really good. Yeah, really good. Well, and I think um, I, I saw a few, I did see a few complainers talking about like, why no Cemetery Gates and why no this song or that song? And I'm like, well, have you heard Phil sing in the last 20 years? Yeah. Phil, so, some of them songs from Cowboys from Hell are a little high pitched for yeah. Phil nowadays. He's not going to do the art of shredding. I mean, it's, it's, there's, uh, I think it's a, it's a knowing your limitations thing. Yeah. It's a, they're not going to do Cemetery Gates, especially because the the high notes on that. There's no way in fuck that he could hit any of those notes anymore. Think about that wail at the end of that song. No, and it's not do, and do you want to hear him doing that now? No, <laughs> no you don't. <laughs> that might be a case for tracks if you want to use tracks, but uh, um, but no, I, the set list I think is it's good and it's right in the wheelhouse of what Phil can pull off. So it's got you know a new level, mouth for war. Strength beyond strength, becoming. I'm broken. Use my third arm, which that's that's kind of one I didn't expect. Yeah. Uh, five minutes alone. This love. Yesterday don't mean shit. That's a cool song. Love it. Fucking hostile. Planet caravan, which they do a really awesome tribute to the brothers on that. Yeah. Um, walk cowboys, and then of course the domination hollow thing. That's the only gripe I have is like. If you're going to play Domination, play the whole fucking song. Yeah. Don't just play the end part. Um, no, because that's cause, one of the best Pantera songs ever. It's it, my favorite Pantera yeah, song. Yeah, it deserves its own thing, not to be yeah. medleyed with anything else. I didn't like the, like it when they did that in the 90s, personally. Yeah. But, um, um, but you know, I mean, I, I don't have much to complain about. I think everything I've heard sounds pretty great. So, um, yeah, I, I think... I like what I've I've seen from them. They, they It's tastefully done. They're They're paying plenty of tribute to the brothers and i think for you know as close as you can get to pantera playing live in 2022 this is as good as you're gonna get and it's still damn good yeah and, and charlie's charlie's pulling off vinny's parts pretty damn good too yeah yeah they're rocking man and like i said to see the fans is such a big important part of it because they're going absolute ape shit when they come out and start playing and you know what? It's kind of like we talked about at the beginning with Kiss, how us older guys wanted to take our kids and our grandkids or whatever to go see Kiss so they could know what it was like. Now there's young kids out there that weren't even born the year that Dimebag was murdered right. and so never had a chance to see it and grew up. Teenagers, you know, young rockers, and now they're finally getting a chance to experience Pantera outside of listening to the old man's CDs. You know, you get to actually see it. And when it comes on through, I know a lot of my friends are going to go see it all over the world, and I'm looking forward to the day they come around here doing a headline in slot. I, don't, I'm, I think it's cool that they're doing the thing with Metallica, but I just I, I don't want to see them cut short. I want to see them headlining. Well, let's 
let, make that a teaser and let's get to your uh, segment of the show oh, before we get into the Metallica stuff. Okay, yeah, I see we got a few more stories left, but yeah, we can do some rock star birthdays. Happy birthday, dear rock stars. Happy birthday to you. Here we go. We're going to go back and start at the very beginning of December because like, we're kind of a little bit out of the loop, but I don't want to leave nobody out. On December 1st, happy birthday to Eric Bloom. Born in 1944 from the Blue Oyster Cult, big important part of that band. And also the old school drummer from The Doors. Yeah, he's still kicking his birthday on December 1st, 1945. John Dinsmore. That's right, John Dinsmore. Also born in 1945 on December 1st, uh, Sammy Hagar. Happy birthday. I had no idea he was so old. You know, I was doing some research on this and I had no idea that outside of his music career, Sammy Hagar actually starred in some movies, too. He was in a movie called Beaches, and he was in a movie called, I think it was called uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. I had no idea about any of this stuff. He's great in that one. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I, I'll have to check them out. I had no idea. Uh, the, that comment is Ian Wadley approved. What do you, oh, oh, shit, that's not Sammy Hagar. That's fucking Bette Midler. I can never tell those two apart. Me neither. Happy birthday, Bette Midler. <laughs> I know you're listening. <laughs> All right. Also celebrating a birthday on the 1st, our good friend Joel Heppensberger, longtime nice. listener of the show. Uh, let's go to the 2nd. A couple of cool birthdays. Born in 1945. Bunch of 1945 birthdays in, on this uh, rock star birthday lineup. Uh, Penelope Spiris. The uh, movie director, probably in our circles, best known for The Decline of Western Civilization, Part 2. And Wayne's World. Yeah, and Wayne's World, too. That's right, man. But decline. I'll never forget the first time I saw that. Like, I was just blown away by it. And it's like, then you grow up and realize, oh, this is all bullshit. <laughs> well, sadly, some of it was real. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, like Paul Stanley laying in the bed with all the women. That's, that's yeah, that was this is normal. This is totally real. You know, it's kind of like yep. watching uh, Exposed and thinking it's all real. <laughs> Paul goes caroling. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, also celebrating a birthday on the second. If you love Def Leppard, give this man a shout. Rick Savage, the bass player, born in 1960. Then on the third, the legendary, one of a kind, Prince of freaking darkness ozzy osbourne celebrated a birthday on the third born in 1948 ozzy osbourne still with us still kicking and still kicking ass that last album <laughs> i don't know honestly because i'm i, I don't want to give a spoiler alert on this or anything but honestly i don't know who's going to beat patient number nine for album of the year really when it comes to the end it's such a good album hmm I'm going to have to do more listening. Like I said, i got a lot more stuff to listen to. we got a couple more weeks before we get there. But as it stands right now, I don't know who's going to knock Ozzy out of number one for me because that's where he's sitting right now. I love that wow. new album. Yeah, That surprises me. All right, let's see. Celebrating birthdays on the 4th, Gary Rosington, the last man standing in, Lin in Leonard Skinner still to this day, born in 1951. Also on the 4th, our awesome friend, David Alpazar, celebrating a birthday. Cool. Here's some more cool friends of ours, Brian Harris and David Glynn, both celebrating birthdays on the 5th. 
Happy birthday, dudes. You share a birthday with Todd Kearns from the Bruce Kulick Band, Slash, Minefield, all that good stuff. Cool. Love it. Uh, Here's a happy birthday in heaven. A couple of them, actually. Uh, The first one on the 6th, born in 1956 and gone way, way too soon. The one and only Randy Rhodes. Yeah. Another legendary rocker celebrating a birthday that left us way too soon. Born in 1943 on December 8th, Jim Morrison of the Doors. Mm. You think of December 8th, I mean, people celebrating birthdays. Imagine a band like this. Jim Morrison, Johnny Rod, Marty Friedman. Huh? Yeah? Wow. All born on December 12th, along with our friend Don Carr from the band Noise Cult. You guys remember a while back, Don was on the show with us, I believe. I know we recorded something with him. I don't know if it ever made it out of the show. <laughs> but he's a super cool guy. Set us up with that Iron Maiden tribute deal that time where we uh, did the fun. video with the big Iron, Ma- Iron Eddie giant puppet thing. Yep. It was awesome. Happy birthday, Don. Let's see. Celebrating a birthday on December 9th, 1968. Olympic gold medalist, all-around ass kicker. And Peter Chris fan number one, the amazing Kurt Angle. No kidding. Yeah, well, you got to mention him. He is Peter Chris's number one fan. I didn't know that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> okay, whatever you say. <laughs> also celebrating a birthday on the 9th, our awesome friend Cal Hins. You guys nice. remember Cal from his amazing, amazing appearance on Friday Night Live a while back. My favorite Aaron Camaro doppelganger. So stylish, so cool. <laughs> that was so funny. Happy birthday, Cal. Celebrating a birthday on the 10th. A couple of cool, awesome people that I love and respect a lot. Brandon Fields from Minefield. Celebrating a birthday. And the guy that was like the all-around MVP at the Creatures Fest last year. That dude, so awesome, so talented, friendly, and cool. That Minefield album, I still swear, best album of the year last year. If you guys haven't heard that yet, I highly recommend you check it out. And also celebrating a birthday on the 10th, your friend and mine, good old JTB, Jason Thomas Broderick. If you guys are ever in Nashville or look him up online, JTB's Groovy Record Room. He's got some really, really cool stuff. Anytime I've ever been out there, I've seen like crazy bootlegs of things I've never even heard of before. Plus all kinds of cool stuff. Happy birthday, JTB. Then on the 11th, a couple of birthdays. Nikki Six, born in 1958, celebrating a birthday on the 11th, along with our awesome friend Simon Cat on the birthday on the 11th as well. Cool. Let's see how far we want to go. We'll go one more. We'll go up to the 12th. Celebrating a birthday on the 12th, former guest to the show, good friend of mine, Jeff Cecil, came on that time, told us a story about hassling the lead singer of Alice in Chains. Remember that? I do. That was a fun episode. We need episode. to do another story time episode. That was fun. What was that? Brushes with Greatness? Yeah. Is that what we called it? That was a fun idea. We should definitely do that again. If you guys got any cool stories about times you've met rock stars, let us know. We'll maybe get you on the show, get you to tell us a story. We'll bring back Brushes with Greatness. Also celebrating a birthday on the 12th, born in 1953. You know him. You love him. He's Bruce Kulick. Yeah. Heck yeah. Love that guy. And finally, also celebrating a birthday on December 12th, our friend, former guest of the show, Memphis guy, 
Total rock and roller. This guy couldn't hide it if he tried it. Talking about Rick Rule from Every Mother's Nightmare. Happy birthday, Rick. Good dude. Very good dude. Love that guy a lot. So there you have it. Those are your rock star birthdays for you know, this period of time till we do the next one. We'll pick it up on the 13th. But before we move on, then we got to celebrate the death days, people that were missing. Of course, we already talked about Christine McVie, who just passed away on the 30th, 79 years old. Uh, remembering Ray Gillen from Badlands and Black Sabbath and a band called Phenomena that was really cool. People remember him, I think, mostly probably from Badlands. Passed away in 1993 at the age of 34 of complications with AIDS. Mm-hmm. One of the first rock and rollers I ever heard about that had it, let alone dying from yeah. it. Nowadays, it don't even kill you. They make medicine for it. You can, Yeah, I see these commercials. I'm like, man, you can you like live a straight-up long, fulfilling life with it now, it seems That's like. That's what it says. You can take these pills. If you got AIDS, you can go still out and go hump around and not have to worry about passing <laughs> it on or nothing. I mean, think about that. 1993... And even before that, when it was so new, that shit was so scary. I mean, we grew up in the era when that was a new thing, and people were freaked out by it. Well, straight up panicked about totally it. Totally panicked. I, I was living in uh, the Chicago area in, like, 1985, and that was kind of when, like, all the news broke about it. And I remember being afraid to shake people's hands and washing my hands. It was, yeah, it was a ma- it was kind of mass hysteria over yeah, it. Yeah, I remember... And even if you think about that, like, they were pretty spot on with the information they passed on, but it was all so new that nobody was even sure. I remember being in Saturday school, which was like the Lutheran equivalent of, like, Sunday school, and the pastor trying to answer questions about it, reading out of this pamphlet, and it's so new that, I mean, I don't even think he knew for sure. And I remember a kid raising their hand going, well, if somebody sits on a toilet seat, and then they leave, and then you go in and use the same toilet seat, can you catch it then? And it was like no, I don't think so, you know, and it's like, oh, shit, you know, nobody knew for sure, but then think about the advances all these years later and looking back and going, oh, you know, this is so new and so scary, and now today, all these years later, basically, it's nothing, and if you get it, there's a cure, or at least, you know, ways that you can live a normal life with it. Yeah, you just take meds and, and live your life, but uh, yeah, it was... There was a, it was massive amounts of panic at the time. Uh-huh. Too bad for old Ray Gillen. He never made it. 34 years old. That's a shame. All right. Also want to remember this week, lost in 1997 on December 2nd at the age of 37. I got to imagine some people listening to this show are fans of NXS. Talk about Michael Hutchins. Another sad loss. Yeah. Man talented cat yeah and a sad way to go you know everything i read about it means says he killed himself yeah but i think it was accidental i don't know i don't know from what i was reading there's like he was really really upset when it happened uh, i'm not sure but yeah it was uh that's wh- that's another band they would be they would be making serious amounts of money right now if if he had lived i think Oh, yeah, especially if they had split up for a while and then, yeah. you know, the money came in to reunite them. Because they were, they were everywhere in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had some pretty cool songs. Yeah, I agree. Maybe you do have uh, Best and Worst of In Excess sometime? 
Might be, we'll see. might be, in- <laughs> might be interesting. Might learn something. Might be a heavier side of an excess. I wonder if that, I mean, I know they got some guitar driven songs. I've oh. never really, I don't know. I've never really, I mean, other than the singles, I don't think I've ever really done a deep dive on in excess. I like some of their stuff. And, um, at the rocket pod pre-party in 2018, Andrew Ferris from NXS was in the house that night. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Very nice guy. That's cool. I have to look at listening to some more of that, really giving it a chance. Mm-hmm. Let's see. This week we also want to remember on the 3rd, back in 2015, at the age of 48, dead in the tour bus in Minneapolis of all places. Oosh. Scott Whelan from the Stone Temple Pilots. Uh. One of my friends, she's, he, he played Nashville like a week or two before that, and she met him that night, and she said it was so sad because he was just strung out really bad. Man, yeah. From all accounts, it looked like you know, either a drug overdose or just years of wear and tear. Yeah, it was drugs. Yeah, they found a lot of drugs in the bus with him when they found his body. Yeah. That sucks. A lot of people were really sad about that one. Because Scott Whelan, man, he was – he was at the forefront of that whole movement in the 90s, you know. And, and Stone Temple Pilots was one of them bands that, yeah, Nirvana was grunge and Pearl Jam was grunge and, and they, these other bands from Seattle all fit that grunge. But there was a little something kind of glam rock about Stone Temple Pilots and a big reason for that is Scott Weiland. He was a showman for sure. Yeah, I always thought like that band, maybe with a different name, could have fit like 10 years earlier when that other shit was getting big. Well, you know, he was in um he was in more like a pop new wave type thing before even before STP. So in those and the STP guys grew up as KISS fans. Right. So there was there was definitely kind of a, a blender of different influences with that band. Yeah, and that's a band too that at the time I didn't want to like them because it was like, Oh, you can't like Poison and Stone Temple Pilots and you can't like Motley Crue and Stone Temple Pilots. And so it was like, Well then I don't want to like Stone Temple Pilots. But I'll do the. Uh... I mean, but it's funny. I think about this, and and like this has happened to me more, more than once over the years. I really started thinking about this when we were talking about Metallica. Was that when I was young, like I would hide from my friends that I liked Metallica, and when I was in the era of the big changeover in rock, so I had to pretend like I didn't like Stone Temple Pilots. I had the uh, the first Stone Temple Pilots album. And loved it. I mean, that song "Cracker Man" on there is one of I was just gonna say one of my all time yeah, favorite what, rock songs. Amazing song, yeah. And there's other great songs on that too. And sure. and albums after that had a lot of great songs on them too. But I was like a a closeted Stone Temple Pilots fan because I didn't want to feel like I was betraying or just trend hopping on what was popular. No, I I. The song Cracker Man in particular reminds me of college because it was like I think it was my second year of college and that album was still relatively new and um, my roommate was very into them at the time and I remember me and my best friend we we just got like our habit at the time was just to drive around Murfreesboro here and get stoned and just smoke weed and then but like once once during finals week uh, every semester. In the dorms, they would basically have an hour where you could blast music as loud as you wanted to. It was just like a benefit of finals week. It just everybody could blow off steam. Yeah. And we get back um, 
from smoking weed, and it was during that hour, and we get up to the third floor, because I lived on the smoker's floor, and uh, my roommate is blasting Cracker Man, like, as loud as it can get. Nice. And you can hear it all the way down the stairwell. Uh, that's one of those memories that's just sort of burned into my brain. And that's a great song to play real loud, too. Yeah, love it. And I, I saw them on the Tiny Music Tour at Starwood here, and they were great. Right on. All right, let's see. Who else are we remembering this week? Uh, Lost on the 4th, got two different ones. This guy, way, way too young. Known probably mostly for taking the place of Richie Blackmore in Deep Purple way back in the day. And then having a pretty cool solo career after that. Awesome guitar player. Talk about Tommy Bolin. Died in 1976 at the young, young age of 29. What they say was a heroin overdose. Yeah, that's what I've heard, too. Well, he did a lot of drugs. They said there was cocaine and alcohol and pills and also heroin. So a little, little bit of everything going on with him. But you wonder what it's like to be so young and then get thrust into stardom. You know, if he's by 76, means he'd been in deep purple for a while already. So they probably would have put him at around 22, 23 when he joins deep purple. I mean, you're not mature when you're that age. And then you're handed the world on a silver platter. And then you snort things off those silver platters and well, everything and his, else. His name about, you know, 10, 12 years ago used to come up a lot online, but, like, you don't really hear anything about him anymore. That's too bad, you know, because he's got yeah. some, like I said, hell of a guitar player. The, the album he played on, what, he played on one or two albums with Deep Purple. It's mm-hmm. good stuff. That's that era with, uh, with, with David Coverdale. And Glenn Hughes, but man, great stuff. I love those albums. And then, you know, has a pretty successful tour. I mean, like, when he dies, he's on tour with, uh, who is he on tour with? Jeff Beck and somebody else really well-known. And so he was on his way to becoming, like, a guitar icon, like somebody that everybody would talk about today had he lived. Yeah. But the fact that he died at 25, I think people don't see it because the the work of art is small you know well i kind of equate him with uh rory gallagher not you know another 70s guitar player that died way too young i don't know a whole lot about him some awesome stuff go look it up yeah okay also on that same day but many years later in 1993 the world lost frank zappa at the age of 52 over the years some people have told us you know talk more about frank zappa but I really don't know enough about Frank Zappa other than he was an artist, you know. He was that. And that if you're looking for, like, straight-up rock album with rock songs and stuff like that, you're not going to get that with Frank Zappa. (laughs) I've tried so many times. Have you? Yeah, I've I've tried. And then I'll find a song here and there, but not enough to make me, like, a quote-unquote fan. I think I liked liked Frank Zappa's anti-establishment personality more than I did his music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing I always remember about Frank Zappa was my uncle had a big old poster, my Uncle Bruce, of Frank Zappa sitting on a toilet and it said Zappa Crappa. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. It's like you got a big old poster of this guy taking a taking a shit, you know? But I was so young I didn't know who it was or anything. Oh, I love all the I love all the stories of him with uh the Alice Cooper group in the early days because he you know, he's he signed them to his his record label, right? And, uh, yeah, straight records, and you know a couple stories of 
him inviting them over to audition for him, and he told them 7 o'clock, and he meant 7 o'clock p.m., but he didn't specify, and they showed up at his house at 7 o'clock in the morning and uh, drove him nuts, but he, he took them. like Before that, he saw them play at the Whiskey, and they were opening for somebody else, and they started playing, and like within five minutes, the whole room emptied out. And... They got done playing, and he came backstage, and they were like, yeah, no, we're, we know we're terrible. And he goes, oh, no, any band that can clear out a room that fast, I want to sign. Right, yeah. yeah. He, he liked it. And then uh, that band at the early, earliest stages, I mean, even if you listen to Pretties for You, oh, the very first Alice Cooper awful. album, it's not good. You <laughs> it's know? terrible. It's, it's, it's very, I guess what they call it, avant-garde, you know, very artsy-fartsy. It's terrible. And so I could see how Frank Zappa would love that. But then they come back and start rocking and be like, oh, no, this ain't going to work. Well, and then my favorite story with Zappa with Alice Cooper is the night they played in, uh, I think it was Toronto, they played a festival. And it was the night that the chicken died. So yeah, the story was that they had like a handicap section up front and these, for some reason, um, so like somebody in the crowd threw a chicken up on stage and Alice, not thinking clearly, probably drunk, said, well, a chicken's a bird, it'll fly, so he threw it into the audience, and it fell, fell into this group of these people in wheelchairs, and he said these people in the wheelchair started tearing the chicken apart, like literally ripping its limbs off. Crazy. And so, but of course, the next, you know, all the headlines the next day is Alice Cooper kills chickens in concert, and Frank Zappa calls him up, and he goes, did you really murder a chicken in concert? And Alice goes, no, no, and he explained the whole story, and Frank goes, well, don't tell the press that, keep it the way it is right yeah (laughs) because that becomes legendary you know and people go we're gonna go see the crazy guy that has snakes and kills chickens right he's like yeah it's a it's a better story if you don't tell the truth for sure especially (laughs) back then that's wild let's see remembering on the sixth this one might be a little bit before our decibel geek time but had a huge influence on rock and roll nonetheless Died in 1988 at the age of 52 of a heart attack right here near us in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Talk about rock legend Roy Orbison. I remember that day. Yeah? My dad got to hang out at his house in the 60s. Really? Yeah. Um, it was like it was like my grandmother... I don't remember the connection, but like somehow my grandmother knew somebody in his family. I can't remember what it was, but my dad got to go out to his house in the sixties and go to like a pool party and, and, you know, had a great time. But, uh, I think that story came out around the time that he died. I remember my dad telling me that, but yeah, he, uh, he lived out in Hendersonville and my dad and them hung out at his house there. That's a trip about living in Nashville, you know, just the different, like, not even landmarks, but just like, oh, so-and-so used to live there, or, you know, this guy's right up the road, or that guy died right over there, and it's such a musically, historically rich place that it's kind of cool, you know, like I said, I was looking this stuff up, and it was like, Roy Orbison, wow, he died in Hendersonville, that's like 10 minutes from here. Yeah. There was a lot of Johnny Cash and Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. There were several yeah. of people that, that lived out in uh, Hendersonville. Yep, and now all the rock stars are living here, probably living out there too. Gary Corbett too. Yep, that's right. Uh, let's see. On the 7th, 
This one's a little outside of it, too, but I know there's some good punk rock fans that listen to this show. Died in 1980 at the age of 22 from what they say was an intentional heroin overdose. You know anything about Darby Crash? Yeah, singer for the Germs. That's right. Yeah, he, um, yeah I, probably the least surprising death of all from that group of bands. Yeah, just a little bit I was reading on it. It's like, wow, this guy was, I mean, he lived it. Self-destructive you know? to the yeah, max. Yeah, totally. Pat Smear was in that band. That's right. He played them uh, unplugged shows with Nirvana. Nirvana and Foo Fighters, yeah. Yeah. And then I think they said that Darby Crash would probably be a lot more well-known today if it wasn't for the fact that the very next day in 1980, at the age of 40, murdered was John Lennon. Yeah. So, I mean, that was such a big deal that, you know, Darby who? <laughs> well, the germs weren't really a household name either. No, but that's a moment that people of that generation, that's one of those things that they say, I know where I was when I heard that John Lennon was murdered. Yeah. And you know what? People for our generation, many years later, in 2004, on the very same day, December 12th, could say the same thing. I know exactly where I was when I heard that Dimebag Daryl had been murdered. Yeah, me too. 38. That's kind of a weird coincidence there. You know, John Lennon, Dimebag Daryl, both killed on December 12th, two years apart in age, both of them murdered. Yeah. Uh, Sad stuff. Very. Let's see. We took it up to, we'll go up to the 10th for this one. Uh, that means I just got a couple more. Um, in On December 9th, 1984, as a result of a car crash, the car being driven, driven, by an intoxicated Vince Neil of Motley Crue, Razzle, the drummer from Hanoi Rocks, dead at 24. Mm, sad. It is sad. You know, that's one of those things where, you know, you think you're just jumping in the car and cruising up to the liquor store and it's all fun and I didn't have that much to drink. But you know what? When something goes wrong in that situation, it usually goes terribly wrong. Yeah. So Vince Neil, I'm sure, will tell you, don't do it. And an ironic twist, he was driving a car called a Pantera. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, when I was looking up uh, Pantera things for the uh, Christmas shopping episode, it was like the most expensive things were actual Pantera cars. <laughs> yeah, the car itself, yeah. Oh, man, those were some cool-looking cars. I remember seeing one of them in a lot years ago and going, what is that? And I'd never even seen one before. And I wanted to buy it, but I couldn't afford it. <laughs> All right, so we do one more. I know we got to have some Monkees fans out there if you appreciate the old school rock that kind of inspired the stuff we love today. Back in 2021, on the 10th, at the ripe old age of 78, Michael Nesmith of the Monkees passed away from heart failure. Mm. Again, that's yeah. another one I think. When you get up to like 78, 79, 80, around in there, and you pass away, I don't think you really need a reason. You just lived no. a full-ass life and got old and that's what happens i just hope i can make it close to that long right yeah 78 that sounds pretty good yep. but yeah michael nesmith i mean you gotta love him he was like the hard rocker from the monkeys right he yeah. was the most metal of the monkeys well he, he also invented mtv 
What do you mean he invented MTV? He was the founder of uh, music videos, and then he sold out to Viacom, who started MTV. Oh, okay. You know that? All right. No, I think I maybe heard some. Maybe I did. I don't know. And also, his mother invented Whiteout. That I did know. Yep. Yeah, I think that was a beat the geek question way back. (laughs) It probably was. And his son was in a band called Kill for Thrills. Oh, that's true. With Gilby Clark, right? Um, I don't think so. Or Christian plays with somebody else now. Um, but yeah, I just follow, I, I, I follow know. what Ken Mills posts about the monkeys. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> place to get your monkeys information. So there you have it. That's your rock star birthdays and rock star death days. You wanna this week? I'd recommend listening to some Badlands. Remember Ray Gillen. Listen to some Tommy Bolin. I'm telling you, you're missing out on something good if you don't know about him. Some Stone Temple Pilots, some NXS. They'll bust out the old Roy Orbison. What the hell? Let's get crazy. And, of course, (laughs) Pantera, and you can listen to the Beatles anytime you want. Yeah. That's some Hanoi Rocks. What the hell? As far as new music coming out, man, it's the end of the year. It's over. I don't think there's nothing new coming out. Nothing that I know of. Nothing that I've seen. There's probably some... Some bands out there that might be slipping under the cracks, but as far as I know, it's like well-known bands coming out with new stuff. I don't see anything. Good, because I have so much shit i got to catch up on. I was just going to say that, yeah, because there were so many good albums that came out this year. One thing I want to know about that, where's that Ace Frehley album that was supposed to come out this year? And also, Quiet Riot, with their new lineup, was supposed to have had an album out in 2022 as well. Really? And I haven't, I haven't seen that. Yeah, when they... Went on tour, they said, we got some new songs put together. They think they're really good, and we're going to release them as a companion to go along with us touring in 2022. I don't see it. It hasn't come out yet. It ain't happening this year. Ace's album will be out in the spring. Okay, I'll take it. I can wait a little bit longer. That'll make it a little bit easier for me at the end of the year now, so at least I don't got to figure out where to put Ace Fraley in there. I'm also I'm already having struggles with where enough's enough and Ugly Kid Joe are gonna end up on my list, if at all. It's a strange year for me trying to figure out what I like best about twenty twenty two. Yeah, I'm uh I'm interested to see where uh Ugly Kid Joe falls on there for you. I say where it stands right now, it's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah. Definitely not number one. Yeah, I I figured that. All right, well, let's you ready to get the, knock these last few stories out, and then we'll get out of here? Yeah. All right, so, um, well, the, one of the big stories of the past week, uh, we got hit with a barrage of Metallica all at once, and none of us saw it coming. I mean, this is the greatest, I hate to say cover-up, but or suppression of something leaking I have ever seen, especially for a band on this level. Yeah. Out of nowhere, last week, Metallica releases this song called Lux Eterna from uh, from their next album that's entitled 72 Seasons. And all in one day, they did a promotional blitz. They released the single, they announced the album, and they announced the tour with Pantera. It's It was a crazy day for Metallica fans. It was an awesome day for Metallica fans. And like you said, you know, how cool is that? In this day and age of nonstop spoilers everywhere you look, if you're not on the case, somebody's going to spoil it for you, whether it's a TV show, a movie, or whatever. 
Metallica, they learned their lesson back in the 90s. Nobody's leaking this shit ever again. And they did. I mean, it was a total surprise. You know, I talk about my friend Mike all the time. He texted me and said, hey, new Metallica song. And I was like, I didn't know Metallica was coming out with the new song. He's like, nobody did. So it was like, awesome. Well, let me check it out. Holy shit. This is amazing. It is amazing. It's, uh, they definitely, they definitely, uh, surprised. I mean, I loved Hardwired and I loved, uh, I loved Death, Death Magnetic, but this takes it up another notch and it's definitely them going back to their roots. Like it, I definitely got a kill them all vibe off this song. Yeah. It's got that edge to it for sure. Yeah. Like I, I had to listen to it a couple of times in a row. Like first time I listened to it, I'm just kind of, my jaws dropped a little bit and I'm like, wow. And it got done. I was like, I gotta listen to that again. And I play it again. And the second time I'm like, okay, all right. Wow. Holy shit. You know, it gets you then. I'm like, damn. I need to listen to that one more time. And the third time was like, hell yes. You know, I am ready for new Metallica now because if it's, if that is the taste that tells us what to expect, then I say, bring it on. Well, they're saying it's, uh, the next album comes out, I think in April. Yeah. April 14th, 2023. And it's, uh, 12 songs, 77 minutes. And uh, they're gonna do, of course, different variants of it and stuff. And uh, but they did a whole promotional blitz, like uh, Lars went on Howard Stern to announce it, and then they they did cool stuff through their uh, YouTube channel all day long with like interviews with the the whole band and interviews with Jose Mangan. And I guess they're teaming up with Elon Musk to do something with cryptocurrency, which I don't follow any of that stuff. But um, I think Elon Musk and Twitter or something is uh, sponsoring the tour, from what I read. But hmm, that's cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but but the big thing for me, I mean, I love the song. The song blew me away, and I've listened to it several times. But then they announced the tour, and they're doing this thing for the tour where it's stadiums, and it's it's done in pairs of two shows. And the first night will be Pantera and Wolfie Van Halen opening up, and the second one will be like it's like a day in between, and then the the second one is Five Finger Death Punch and Ice Nine Kills, which to me I really don't care about either of them, but um, I'm happy for those bands. That's a big opportunity for them. Yeah. But to me, I, I want to see Pantera, so I'm I still haven't pulled the trigger, but I've already talked to the wife and I've already gotten the A OK. Um, I I lived in Chicago for a little while in the eighties and I've always wanted to kind of go back and revisit it, even though I'm going to have to wear a bulletproof vest, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I still haven't been back since like 1988. So I was kind of like, well, this might give me an excuse to go back to Chicago because they're playing, um, the Pantera version of the show is August 9th, 2023. And that's also during baseball season. So I need to check the Cubs schedule because part of my goal is to see a game at Wrigley. So, is the uh, Metallica show at Soldier Field? Yes, it is. Wow, nice. So, so somebody gets to walk out of there for once, feeling like winners. Ah, okay, Mister Packer. <laughs> um, hey, the Packers might suck, but we're still slightly better than the Bears. <laughs> yeah, you still have that going for you. Um, That's but all. No, I, I, I really want to go. I, I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I think I'm getting close because my wife's been wanting to go to Chicago too because she's never been. Yeah, and I'm like, well, I, I can get like a nosebleed seat for ninety or a little bit lower section for like a hundred and forty-five. So I'm like, do I pull the trigger or uh, not? I think I'm going to though. Yeah, 
But I, but I will not be there for the second show, so I don't know how that works. Because um, you have to buy the tickets as a pair. Hmm. You have to buy for both shows. So it's a, but like, and Chris Aiken pointed out well on Talk to Me that he's like, I can already see it now. If you're making everybody buy both shows, all those secondary shows with Ice Nine Kills and Five Finger are going to be half empty because most people are want to go see Pantera. Right, and if they're only doing so many shows, right, then yeah, that makes sense. You know, so you travel into town, you might not stay for both of them. But I you're won't. Sure, you're sure not going to miss the Pantera show. I mean, I'm all about seeing Metallica and Pantera in a stadium, or even just Metallica in a stadium. But I don't need to go see see it twice. You know, right. um, but they're but, playing two totally different sets. I get that, but on the, on the shows, I don't know. But to me. To me, it's a, it's a week in Chicago, and like in the middle of the week, I get to go see Metallica and Pantera, and then the rest of the week, I do other stuff. Yeah, that's what killed it for me. It's a Wednesday night, and I got a lot of my. Uh, Are you vacation. sure? I thought it was a Friday. No, the way I looked it up, I thought it was Wednesday. Let's middle look it up of the now week. while we record. It is. That makes it tough for me because no, it you is know, a Wednesday. That means I'll have to, like you said, you know, make a week out of it. And I think a lot of my vacation time is already kind of planned out for, for yeah. 2023 already. I got some big plans that may not include Chicago. Well, to, if I can help it. I'll, if I go, we'll be going for like the whole week. So yeah. It'll, and it'll be what we do in the middle of it. But my, my wife doesn't even want to go to the concert. She just wants to see museums and stuff in Chicago. I'm like, all yeah. right, that's fine. So I think I'm going to pull the trigger on it. Even if I have to get a nosebleed seat, I'm, I think I'm going to go. So you're going to choose that over the uh, the option of the next story, huh? Let me go back to my my list. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, let's hit this really quickly. Um, Party gras. <laughs> so yeah, so Brett Michaels is doing his best uh, Sammy Hagar slash Jimmy Buffett impersonation by doing the Party Gras 2023 tour. Nothing but a good vibe music festival. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of this because it's uh, this looks really corny. <laughs> it, it's Brett Michaels from Poison with Night Ranger and Jefferson Starship and opening act Steve Algeri who was in Journey for a while, and Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray. What a weird lineup. That is a weird lineup. It it seems like, I don't know. It seems like it would be fun, though. Does it? I don't know. Mark McGrath is not going to be playing none of the stuff off the first Sugar Ray album. I know that, which is awesome. <laughs> but then everything else sucks. Oh, there's a there's a handful of songs that like when they when Sugar Ray started out. Believe it or not, if you only know this band from Fly, That's and me. you've never and you've never heard that first album, which is called Lemonade and Brownies. What an awful name! It's metal as hell. Well, I knew that I did know at least enough to know that he was in a band. It was before they were called Sugar Ray, but they played the Cat House, and they were more of a hair metal band. And they were called the Shrinky Dinks. Yeah, Shrinky Dinks. That's right. We've talked about that before. That's no. what Kristen loves that name. <laughs> I don't know any of their music, but I, that's what I no. know. I don't think they recorded anything, but I do know he was a young kid that spent a lot of time on the Sunset Strip and yeah. was inspired by all that. He seems like a cool guy. Yeah. I still hate Sugar Ray, though. You got to listen to that first album, man. I'm telling you. Is it? I am telling you. Is it available on streaming? I have no idea. It's well, available over here on for... my CD shelf. 
I ain't paying for Sugar Ray's first record. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure you can find some of it on YouTube. I, it's funny. I, I go into Spotify and I type Sugar Ray, and the first, top result is Sublime. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, because when that song Fly came out, and that's Sublime-ish. Yeah. That became like where they went. So then that album that had that song on it had a couple of other songs on it. There's a song on that album called RPM. Oh, which it is, is on heavy and hard rocking. It's on Spotify. Nice. Jesus yeah. Christ, it's 14 songs long. You ought to check it out, man. It's it's like heavy new metal. Got a great album cover. It's got a great album cover, that's for sure. Very nice. <laughs> and Talk about Night Ranger. That's a band. I, that's another one I need to do a deep dive on because I've never, other than like the one song, was it Sister Christian? Yeah. That Night Ranger. I don't know any other song by that. Oh, you know more than that. Like Don't I Tell don't Me know. You Love Me was a big hit. Oh, yeah, I do know that one. Yeah. Rockin' America. You know that one? Oh, yeah, I do know that one too. So yeah. I know three Night Ranger songs. I saw them open for Poison in 99. Yeah. The, the Glam Slam Metal Jam show. Yep. I know a lot of people like Night Ranger. They were you know, great live. One of those bands I always said, you know, and now I'm, I don't know, my my horizons of what I will listen to and bother to check out have grown quite a bit. Speaking of that, Jefferson Starship. I don't care about Jefferson Starship, but recently the wrestler, Orange Cassidy, started coming to the ring using the Jefferson Starship song, Jane. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. Dude. I totally forgot about that song. It is killer. And it's like, Jane, you know, when I, I read it, and I was like, Jane, Jane, I don't know that song, whatever. And then when he came out to it, I was like, oh, I remember this song. And I'm thinking, you know what? That's a damn good song. It's so, amazing. So now I want to check out more Jefferson Starship, but I've been finding, like, Jefferson Airplane, and I've been, finding, been finding regular Starship. Yeah which is super poppy, built this city on rock and roll type stuff. But I want to hear more Jefferson Starship because they seem like Jefferson Starship is the most hard-rocking version of that band. Mm-hmm. Well, if um, if you want to hear a great cover of Jane, it was one of, the, one of my favorite things from the quarantine. It was, you know, remember a lot of these musicians would get together and record their own parts on video and then they would put it together. Yeah. They did a cover of Jane, and it was um, Dino Jalusic from Animal Drive, and you know, I guess he's in White Snake now. Yeah, it was him singing and playing piano. Mike Portnoy on drums, Joel Hoekstra on guitar, and it was wow. them doing the song Jane. Nice, and it's it's my favorite version of that song, even better than the original. Wow, and the original is pretty cool. But it's like more of a metal version of that song. Right on, I like it. You know what? If that Brett Michaels thing comes to Nashville, it's summertime. If it's nice out, it seems like a good thing to go get drunk at. Well, I'll give it. I'll give it that. But I can never abide by Brett Michaels doing this and not. Why? Why isn't this Poison headlining this? Because he makes more money this way. It's bullshit. <laughs> Brett Michaels, your fans do not like it. They do not. Well, I like think the it, middle the middle aged women that come see you they don't care, but as far as like the real fans, we don't like it. We want to see poison. Well, I mean, it, it, as as us as poison fans, I it's kind of dumb because they built up such momentum on that Motley tour because they stole the they stole the show every night. I know it. And it's like they were 
perfectly positioned to go ahead and do a, like a headlining concert tour and live nation probably would have been right about all about it. And, uh, but no, I guess Brett's been planning this even since before the Motley tour. Lame. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you hit it perfectly right there. Everybody was talking about poison on the big Motley tour, talking about how, wow, poison was the best show, the best band on the show. And there was a bunch of bands on that bill. And to come out of that, people would probably said, Poison was so good, I would like to see them do a full set headlining show. Yep. But instead you get Brett Michaels, Love is What I Got, Jimmy Buffett, <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, I, it's lame. Quit being so greedy, Brett. You're being greedy. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'll say it right now. Greedy. You're taking the money. You're not sharing it with the band. You're being greedy with your bandmates. You're being greedy with your fans. Your fans want poison. You're all right. Nothing wrong with you, Brett Michaels, except when you're doing, like, stupid Sublime covers. And your solo material. And 90% of your solo material kind of sucks, too. 90%. That's, that's generous. You're more generous than me about that. But... Like Chris said, people were excited about Poison. You guys stole the show so many nights on that tour. What a perfect way to keep that momentum going and cash in on that momentum. I know you think it's all about you, damn it. But it's not. It's not all about you. It's about the band. It's about the fans. And you, too. But it can be all those things. Stop being so greedy. You're hurting the band. You're hurting your fans. Stop it. Stop it. This has been a message brought to you by Aaron Camaro. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Knock it off. (laughs) Well, the last couple stories, I'm just going to make mention. I'm not going to read articles and stuff, but uh, Aerosmith has canceled a couple of shows in Vegas recently on their uh, residency because Steven Tyler's health is not good, which that worries me. That sucks. I I have a a strong suspicion that uh, we might lose a member of Aerosmith in the next year. I hate to say that, but I I just have a premonition about it. But uh, between that and uh, Axl Rose apparently hit a fan in the the, uh, audience with a microphone because I guess he throws his microphone out to the audience on Paradise City. Well, no, that's the Axl Rose we all remember. Well, I guess he does this as a, a normal thing. But uh, this microphone apparently hit this woman in the face, and it fucked her face all up. Dang. You shouldn't throw shit in the crowd. Probably not. In this day and age with lawyers, probably not a good idea. Don't be a stupid-ass Sebastian Bach. Yeah. Don't throw shit in the crowd. Well, he said in a, in a response that he's not going to do it anymore. But That's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Axel Rose, he learns from his mistakes. He's grown. Yes, he he's matured. But, uh, I mean, nothing much more to that story other than uh, our good friend Tyson Leslie flew all the way to Vegas to see Aerosmith and got screwed on that. Oh, damn. Which I'm sorry, Tyson. That sucks, dude. But, uh, I hope Steven Tyler's okay. And yeah. also, you know, he he did go back into rehab like a year ago, so I hope it's not substance abuse stuff. But uh, we'll be having our best thoughts for him. For sure. Aerosmith freaking rules. Yeah. Or are they used to, anyway? I'm not ready to lose a member of Aerosmith. No, those guys are so old and haggard, but they've hung on all this time. I mean, don't give it up now. Yeah. But, yeah, that's pretty much all I got for GeekWire. But, you know, we're at an hour and a half plus now. So nice. I think uh, we've got a good, pretty good episode here. 
All right, cool. Well, there you have it. We promised it. The good, bad, the ugly, the stupid, the ridiculous. You got a little bit of everything right there. That has been GeekWire. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast, and we'll see you next time. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.